Listen in to the forum at St. James Church. Good morning, everyone. Let's get started. Well, let's try that again. Good morning. There we go. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of this season of epiphany, for this season of light and revelation, of coming to know you and to see you clearly. We give you thanks for the gospel of Matthew and the way in which it bears witness to your son. We ask that your spirit would bless our conversations this day and would prepare our hearts as we enter more deeply into your love and prepare to walk our Lenten journey towards Holy Week and Easter. Fill this parish with the knowledge and the love of you that we may be your disciples. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are coming to the end of our Epiphany Forum series on Matthew. Um, I know last week was a holiday weekend and some of you may have missed the forum, uh, which was on the passion. Brenda talking to us about that, uh, that incredible part of Matthew's gospel. So if you missed that, I commend to you the podcast. But today we're in Matthew chapter 28, the resurrection. But before we jump into that, I want to uh, do a, a quick reflection on where we've been. And so I'm going to invite you to do a, a lightning round at your table, a lightning round where you introduce yourself to your table mates and share one thing that has struck you or one question you still have. But be quick, right? We're not, we're a lightning round. Who you are, one thing that struck you as you read Matthew or one question you still have. Um, so we'll take just a few minutes and do that. And then we'll come to Matthew 28. Go. Okay, let's uh, come back together. If you remember in our first week together, way back when, in the beginning of January, I shared with you something you may have already known, which is that traditionally each of the four Gospels has a creature attributed to it. Uh, you can find them often in church architecture. They're in the Reredos and the bell tower and on the lectern here. Matthew, well, I'll start with Mark is the lion, Luke the ox, John the eagle. Matthew is the one like a human face. And I share that with you because I think that's really important to, to understand about Matthew, that Matthew wants us to perceive Jesus to be who he is, which is Emmanuel, God with us, God with a human face. But not just a generic God, the God of Israel. As, he, as I said then, he's the gospel writer more than any other who says, as the prophet foretold, or in fulfillment of the scriptures, right? Connecting this Jesus to the Hebrew scriptures. Matthew's all about clarity and visibility and continuity. This Jesus is clearly and obviously and unmistakably the God of Israel incarnate, come to his own people, calling them into deeper relationship. Like Moses, he's gone up on the mountain to teach his people and to give them a new law, right? And he is unmistakably drawing in the Gentiles. We saw that from the very beginning in January. In chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus, including those four unexpected Gentile women. Chapter two, the wise men coming from the east to pay homage to the baby Jesus. In the parables, particularly as the conflict escalates 
and the cross starts to loom large, Jesus starts talking about wedding banquets with unlikely guests being welcomed in. He heals people like the Canaanite woman. There's a sense of the God of Israel incarnate drawing the whole world to himself. We see in Matthew a vision of a beloved community where all people, any and all who put their trust in God as revealed in Jesus Christ are part of the community. So we come to Matthew 28 and to the end of the story. Last week at the end of Matthew's passion, we heard words of faith on an unlikely Gentile's lips. You remember that? The centurion who had helped execute Jesus, one of the Romans who had participated in that state-sponsored murder of Jesus, that Gentile centurion says, truly this man was God's son. But despite those words of hope, despite the apocalyptic signs that accompanied Jesus' death, right? You remember that? The earth shook, the curtain in the temple was torn in two, and that uniquely Matthew feature of the dead being raised, even on Good Friday. Despite all of that, at the end of chapter 27, Jesus is still dead. He is laid in Joseph's of Arimathea's tomb. And that's where this chapter begins. The starkness of grief, the defeat of hope. <coughs> Women come to the tomb. We know this story well. We've probably heard it many times. Women come to the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week. And they come to anoint their friend's body for burial. They come to offer their last rites of love. They don't come with hope. They come to do their duty for love. You may know that in um, tombs of the era, if you've been to the Holy Land, you've seen this. There was, an, there was an outer room and then an inner room. So a body would have been laid in the outer room, which the stone would still be between the world and this outer room. So you walk through the passage where the stone would be rolled away from, and there's an inner room where a body would be laid on a slab to be prepared for burial, to be anointed. And then beyond that would be little niches where the body would be placed. There would be multiple ones, and that smaller container would be sealed up with mud to let the body de decompose. And then in a few years, they would open that niche up, take the bones out, put it in an ossuary box, and reuse that that hole, right? Um, this is how bodies were buried. If you go on the Holy Land in uh, Lent of 2021 with St. James, you'll see a tomb just like this. The women come to anoint Jesus' body that has been laid in that first outer room. He hasn't been put in his niche yet. They didn't have time. He was crucified on Friday, the day not just of preparation for the Sabbath, but of preparation for the Passover Sabbath. And so he's laid there, they leave the body there to observe the Sabbath and then come back to prepare it. They come to offer their last rites of love. There are copies of this story on the table and I want us to read it out loud so we hear it. Um, and what I'm gonna suggest um, is, uh, well, firstly, do I have a volunteer who might want to read it. Tony, come on up, bring your paper. Um, 
And I'm gonna suggest if you're the kind of person who likes to read along by looking and underlining and circling and all that stuff, do that because that will help you stay engaged. But if you're like me and you might hear better by just closing your eyes and quieting your hearts, I invite you to do that too. As Tony reads from us, Matthew 28. And so Tony's gonna use the mic so we can all hear her. So let's take a moment just to prepare to hear the reading of God's word. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you shall see him. This was my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you must say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story is still told among Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thanks, Tony. So what do you notice? What stands out to you? So we have uh, angels uh, with words on their lips that uh, echo words that were spoken to Joseph and to Mary uh, at, at the beginning of both Matthew and Luke's gospels, do not be afraid. You may remember a few Christmases ago, Jesus said God has a, or Jesus, Brenda said, uh, God has a favorite <laughs> commandment, do not be afraid right? Angels often say that. So the, the women come and are startled, right? This is not what they were expecting. Um, you know, for all the pain of grief, we sort of know how it goes. Um, and they are awakened into something beyond what they had 
could possibly imagine and are terrified. And so they are told not to be afraid. What else, what else do we notice? Fear and joy, yeah, which is pretty great. Um, you know, Mark ends with just fear, just startlement at this incredible resurrection. Mark is the kind of mic drop, like he's raised from the dead. <laughs> Matthew keeps going. They run with fear and joy. Okay, what else do we notice? Also, uh, you know, for, for a, a part of the world that's so based on the 12 tribes of Israel, that Jesus is telling them to really go out and make disciples of all nations, go beyond their family history, their culture, their, you know, what has been, you know, part of their heritage. They're meant to go out. Right. And, yeah. Yeah, so we have what is known as the Great Commission, right. which ends the Gospel of Matthew, which sends these disciples out beyond their comfortable world yeah. to bear witness to Jesus and to invite others into relationship with Jesus through baptism and by teaching them all things uh, and remembering that God has and does go with them, right? Matthew ends, I, I like to think of it as a blessing and, and a, a commissioning, um, uh, a challenge or a charge, right? I'm with you always to the end of the ages and go into realms and worlds and experiences beyond anything you could imagine. So comfort and challenge. Right. Yeah, what else do we notice? The only one that where they're going to the mountain, I didn't, um, I think of them go, being in a room and he's coming to see them there. And having just heard the lesson this morning about the mountain, uh, is that a reference back? Yeah, I mean, I'll pay you later, that's great. <laughs> yeah, so uh, in, in, in other gospels, um, we have a lot of encounters between Jesus and his disciples in that upper room where they had met. Uh, we hear that a lot in both Luke uh, and, and John. We have uh, encounters with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. In Luke's gospel, that then ends with um, Jesus going to a mount and ascending to heaven. Um, so this references that, but this more directly ties it to a mountain. And in Matthew's gospel, it's the only gospel that talks about a mountain in Galilee, right? Luke's gospel has Jesus ascending from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. So if you go to the top of the Mount of Olives, you'll see the Church of the Ascension. But in Matthew's gospel, he goes back to the place of their beginning, their ordinary place, the place where it, all this began, and says there's a new beginning, right? There's a new beginning. One of the things that strikes me um, is that Matthew is a, is a deeply artful gospel. Sometimes we think that the gospels are sort of simple or um, I don't know. There, there can be a, a modern uh, dismissiveness about ancient writings. And I think that the gospels are uh, fabulous examples of why we should be humble <laughs> and recognize the depth of artistry in the construction of these stories, because Matthew knows exactly what he's doing. This gospel began with angels, mountains, and Gentiles, right? Angels, mountains, and Gentiles. You have a question or, yeah. And this story is still told among the Jews to this day. So it's beyond the Gentiles that this story is 
Yeah, so, so um, what you're referencing is that Matthew's account of why some people don't believe in the resurrection, okay? The story was that the guards were paid to tell a, f a, a fable. And that, um, that's not actually a story told among the Jews to this day. What Jesus is saying, because we need to be very careful about anti-Semitism, what Jesus is talking about is a conflict in the Matthean community. The community for which this gospel is being written is experiencing conflict with their local synagogue, and he's trying to explain that, okay? So um, the gospel that is shared to the ends of the earth is the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, not the story of guards being paid off, right? So the gospel begins with angels, mountains, and Gentiles coming, right? Um, and it ends with angels, <laughs> a mountain, and people going to the Gentiles, right? So we have one neat uh, sort of pairing there. Um, the disciples come to this mountain to see Jesus clearly, right? Matthew is not like Mark, where it ends with wonderment and terror and confusion. Matthew says that these women are actually given quite clear instructions that they follow, right? Go do this and then this. Right, go tell the disciples and then you all together go to Galilee. The women do what the angels instruct and uh, the disciples follow them and go to Galilee. We have um, this reminder that he's Emmanuel, right? At the beginning, the angel said, he'll be Emmanuel, God with you. And what do we have at the end? He's God with you. I am with you always to the end of the ages, not just in the bodily person of Jesus, but as the risen Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, as God the Son, I am with you always. Cecil. You've told us several times about Matthew, and particularly about how well, he was relatively scholarly, I guess you would say. Uh, we know about the other three gospel gospelers. I'm not asking you to yeah. tell us, but... Yes, is the short answer. <laughs> How can we compare the four Gospels so yeah. based on the difference in the authors? Yes, and that's a much longer conversation than we have time for. I'm not asking to have the conversation. Yeah. I'm saying, is it something we're able to have? Absolutely. Because this, this is really the end of this, of the Matthew story, really sort of packages it up, very, the whole thing, very neatly. It does. It does package it up neatly. And remember who Matthew was. Who was Matthew? Tax a tax collector. Nobody which, liked him. <laughs> it's true, Barbara. Nobody liked him. He was a, he was a, right? So he's a member of the tribe of Israel. He's a Jew, but he's collaborating, right? Which means that he's not really loved or trusted by either group, right? So Matthew has a heart that the gospel spread and include all people. Right? He knows that the gospel is good news for people who are marginalized, right? And he is, he's determined to tell us that. Um, the one, think about the artistry too. The one who has been the teacher, right? The one who goes up on the mountain like Moses did to teach the people, right? Empowers his disciples to be teachers. Right? Isn't that the charge? Go baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's passing on authority, which should, I hope, 
remind us that Matthew is the only gospel that talks about the church as the body of Christ that will continue his work, right? He's got a, he's got a vision that though Jesus bodily ascends to the Father, he will pour out his spirit on his people to continue his mission and his ministry of welcoming all people into this beloved community, of creating a community across every line of difference, difference of nationality, difference of background, difference of whether people like you or not, across every line of difference to be the family of God that will bear witness in the world that God is with all people and calling all people to respond. So what I want to leave you with is this image that Matthew's resurrection account is not just tying up loose ends, though it is that. It is a beautiful um, ending to this arc of a story to say Emmanuel really is Emmanuel. The teacher really is the teacher. The, The one who draws the Gentiles in is sending the Gentiles out. So it is both a beautiful ending of this fabulous story but it's the beginning of the church's story. Matthew is the first gospel because ever since the early days of the church, people have referred to it as the church's gospel, the one most read in the lectionary, the one that gives us an image of what it means for us to be beloved community, welcoming all people, what it means for us to be ones who are empowered by God to go out as one human family, seeking to do God's will, that we would bring all people into a relationship of reconciliation with God and with one another. That's Matthew's vision. He doesn't have to have an ascension because the story is an ending, right? He's not, he's not so worried about the ending as he is the beginning. He's not so worried just about the story of Jesus's life, death and resurrection, though he is. He's worried about the story we're telling, that we are living out, that we are seeking to fulfill as disciples. So I hope as we go into this Lenten season, as we begin to walk this journey toward Holy Week and Easter, I hope that we can think about that call of the church to know Jesus and to make him known. To know Jesus and to make him known. Because that's what Matthew's about. Showing us Jesus that we might show the world Jesus. So this Lent, how might you, that's, that's what I want you to think about as you leave this day and as we go into Ash Wednesday this week and the first Sunday in Lent, how can you this Lent better know Jesus? What are ways in which through your study of scripture or in your prayer life, how might you better come to know the Jesus who's drawing near to you? The Emmanuel who wants to be with you, the teacher who wants to teach you, the healer who wants to heal you. How can you better know that Jesus? And what might you do by the love you share, by the grace you offer, by the forgiveness you practice, by the generosity you practice, by the reconciliation you practice? How might you make that Jesus known? Because this world, (laughs) friends, this world needs to know that Jesus, that Jesus who gathers all people into beloved community. And he's counting on you. Amen. (laughs) To learn more about St. James Church, visit stjames.org. That's stjames.org.